0: It is October, one of, if not our absolute most favorite time of year. Elaine's favorite holiday is just around the bend, Halloween. And I know she gets so much flack from that from our loving Christian community as she's sitting here wearing her, like, modern witch-looking hat. I was going to
1: say, if the camera was rolling, they would see I'm decked out in orange and black and, and, like you said, my little witchy floppy hat.
0: Yes, even though I don't know how, I mean, I guess... It's just a hat. I don't know why it's just we a call hat. it witch hat, but it's just a hat.
1: It has a point on it. I'll, I'll post a selfie later. Okay.
0: <laughs> actually bought one, too, for my, yeah, for my costume so this year. Yeah, so you
1: are a wizard, and I'm a witch. Like,
0: you're a wizard, Harry. Okay. So <laughs> you're a wizard, we, Cody. Yes. We and are,
1: Doppler is a dragon this year.
0: Yes, he's going as a dragon. <laughs> Our dog is going as a dragon this year. i got to finish his costume. Anyway, that's not what we're here talking about. We are talking, if you caught last week's uh, Reckless on the Road, you may have noticed we mentioned what these next couple weeks will entail, and this one, oh man, I just know this headline is going to bless so many hearts on the great web. It'll spark
1: a great conversation.
0: We are titling this episode, Jesus is my favorite necromancer, and I would like to point out that if you are seeing the title, necromancer is in quotation marks for a reason, so, before you start lighting your torches and grabbing your pitchforks, please just listen to this episode through. But we're going to take a quick and uh, down and dirty dive into necromancy in the Bible and specifically what makes communing or raising the dead in such a way, uh, I guess capable or worthy of burning someone at the stake <laughs> or at least driving them out of, out of your city, out, yeah. out of your city depending on what section of the bible you're reading really or justifies fair justifies <laughs> the action taken against such types of people so we're just going to kind of dive into this i know the intro was a little different this time that's okay that's okay so I have a
1: question uh-huh. Why did you title it, Jesus is my favorite, quote, necromancer? What does that mean?
0: What does it mean? Yeah. It means exactly what it sounds like, something really catchy to get people to listen. Well,
1: okay, so you said a necromancer. What was that again?
0: Well, that's. Um, let me get into the freaking okay, episode. Okay. You're getting ahead of me here. I have a list. I have a list. I'm leading this episode, by the way. So uh, Elaine is going to add commentary along the way, but I have tons of outlines I kind of went a little itinerant on this one, so um, yeah, anyway, so the definition, and I'm going to have to open Bibles and flip pages a lot, so y'all are just going to have to bear with me, because I don't feel like going through and chopping every little thing that I do out, so necromancy, what is necromancy, let's just start there. And so I'm going to go with the actual definition of what necromancy is. It's the practice of magic involving communication with the dead, either by summoning their spirits as apparitions, visions, or raising them bodily for the purpose of divination, imparting the means to foretell the future events, discover hidden knowledge, to bring someone back from the dead, or to use the dead as a weapon, sometimes referred to as death magic. So, It is a form of witchcraft, black magic, if you will, and that's just kind of what uh, necromancy is. So it's anything, I guess. What mancy is the practice of, right? What does mancy mean again? Do you remember? I don't know.
1: I know necro Necro is is death. death.
0: So death magic, I think, is what it it literally uh, entails. So it's basically bringing people back from the dead because you want them back. Bringing people back from the dead to foretell of uh, things that are to happen in the future, to discover some kind of hidden knowledge. Or to use the dead as a weapon, which sounds brutal. That
1: reminds me: is that Lord of the Rings, where he can like summon the dead, the dead army?
0: Well, yeah, Aragorn goes yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't really summon them as much as kind of like strong-arms them into helping him. So I don't know if he was a necromancer or if he was just threatening the dead more than <laughs> anything. But uh, Tolkien knew what he was doing. He had a lot of biblical references throughout Lord of the Rings. So anyway. Aside from the point. So let's just kind of get into this a little bit. Um, So why are we talking about this? We have an ultimate goal. This is not to give you a history on what necromancy is by any means. We are still and primarily a Christian podcast. And so we bring this back to Christ and it has a good message not to go out. Let me go ahead and just go ahead and uh, I guess give this thing a nice clear little package to let you know what our intent is here. The intent is by no means encouraging you to go out and start practicing necromancy. You are wasting your time trying to commune with the dead. Uh, We are not for going out and using Ouija boards to try to commune with spirits to learn things, despite what everyone on TikTok believes. Uh, We are also not afraid of such things. I was going to
1: say, last week we talked about fear. Right and how a lot of people fear Halloween a lot of people just fe- have fears in general of things that they don't understand. And so what better episode than to educate and instill wisdom on what necromancy is and that it actually was talked about in the Bible There were instances in the Bible where it happened and kind of differentiate um, what happened with Jesus and and how, that operated in the Bible and how other people used it. Right,
0: and, and I mean, honestly, when you look at most of the Bible, and this is something that we could go way in-depth on, and I think we have in some instances, I know I have before, but when you start looking at things like uh, people using mandrake roots for fertility, people parting seas with the knock of a staff, uh, turning snakes in, or sticks into snakes, lots. and casting, casting lots, lots uh, Urim and Thummim, you know, like all of these different things that are used for decision making or divination or all these different things like you start realizing you know actually things aren't as different on the other side you start looking at things like okay so moses was the chief sorcerer amongst his people and then daniel daniel david which one was it daniel was the you know was a like there's an entire like group of astrologers that raised up after Daniel and his teaching in Nebuchadnezzar's court. You know, uh, it's all like, okay, well you can give things a title and I don't want to spoil the ending here, but this actually does kind of resolve to a certain point in how all of these things are actually different. Despite when you kind of look at it, they seem very much similar. So we read what necromancy is raising people from the dead. Well, that's talked about a lot in the Bible, but let's, before we get into talking about, Uh, instances of necromancy in the bible let's talk about what does the bible say about necromancy and so i think the most common verse is leviticus 20 uh 27 and i'll just flip over to that real quick number leviticus there we go leviticus 20 27 like i said you're gonna hear a lot of me turning pages and that's okay And 27 in the section called you shall be holy, separate clean from unclean. Where are we at here? 26. You shall be holy. Let's see. Detestable by beast. You shall not. Okay, so this is right uh, after the part where it says um, don't eat things on the ground, right? So like don't eat bugs and stuff like that. Um, Make yourselves detestable by beast. Yeah, okay. So, or basically saying, like, live separate from other animals and stuff like that. So we kind of scroll on here. A man or woman who is a medium or necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Okay, well, so we obviously know that the Bible has, at least in some parts, spoken very negatively of necromancy. And so I think it also is well to say, what does necromancy mean right there? If you look at the... The definition, it literally means to commune with the dead. So it's very similar to the actual definition. That is the definition used in the Bible as well. So we're talking about the same thing here. And it goes on to say, or I guess we can go on and talk about the most common instance of necromancy in the Bible, where it is also frowned upon. And that's the witch of Endor in First Samuel 28. And I'm not going to go into reading that, but basically Saul is like, hey, get out all of the sorcerers, banish them from the kingdom And then he prays and he asks God to give him an answer about a war that he's facing. And God is just like, no, I'm not saying anything right now. And so he he goes to the Urim and Thummim, which is basically just rocks in a bag to predict the outcome of something. And he reaches in there and pulls it, which is ordained by God, by the way. Uh, He reaches in, pulls one out, doesn't like the answer or doesn't get an answer per se. So basically he's casting ruin lots, Urim and Thummim, whatever you want to say. And it doesn't give him a definitive answer. And so off he goes to find himself a witch and he goes to the witch of indoor, which is the most like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter thing I've ever heard ever. And finds this woman. And she is like, yo, don't you know, I'm going to die if I do this for you. Like Saul already said, all of y'all like everyone here who practices this is going to die. And he's like, I swear that you'll be okay. And so she's like, okay, whatever. Cool. Summons, uh, through necromancy, Samuel from the grave, in which I've heard a lot of people argue that actually people can't come over from the other side. You can't talk to the dead on the other side or whatever. And without getting into the details of that, the Bible's pretty clear that this isn't a demon. This is Samuel, okay?
1: And he's kind of like, yo, why'd you why'd you wake me up? Yeah, he's
0: like, I was asleep. Why, <laughs> Why did you drag me here? And then he kind of rebukes Saul for doing it, which supports the cause there or whatever. And sends...
1: Hey, I'd be pretty upset too if I was in a deep slumber and somebody just wanted to wake me up for me to tell them their future.
0: yeah. I'd, I'd probably
1: mean, be upset too.
0: If the future doesn't involve coffee for you, because I've woke you up before and told you things and you were pretty mad, but then I've woke you up and told you we're getting breakfast and you were happy. Yes. So note to all of our listeners if it involves good food, Elaine will be yes. happier if you wake her up. Anyway. So uh yeah, anyway, so
1: I highly doubt he woke him up with coffee. <laughs> I doubt
0: it. Uh more like uh yeah, dark magic. Anyway, so Samuel's the sitting there. Coffee. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take it there. Anyway, so Samuel <laughs> brings uh, or is, is sitting there chilling as a ghost talking to Saul, basically tells him, like, your kingdom's going to be handed over. Like, we've already prophesied this. Like, I don't know what more you want. Uh, Saul mourns and the necromancer lady is like, hey, you should really eat something. And so she like brings him some food and he hangs out there that night and eats. And that's kind of that. And then, of course, you know, Saul ends up dead. But
1: so whatever happened to the witch?
0: I don't know. She just went on. I mean, okay. I guess he promised not to kill her. So I guess she just kind of went on doing her thing. Okay. I mean, technically, she didn't do anything wrong either, and that's another thing. Like, that's the whole other thing. She's like, she was kind of strong-armed into the thing. Like, she wasn't necessarily. She was kind of forced into I was doing say, this. A,
1: a lot of times in like history, like it's either like they kill you for your magic, or they want to use and abuse your magic for their selfish gain. When
0: well, if you look at like Arthur, uh, uh, Arthur, Arthurian, Arthur. <laughs> Arthurian, Arthurian, Arthurian tales, however you say that. Uh, it was actually, like, banned because of its use by the king at one point, mm-hmm. causing the death of his wife. So Luther used dark magic, and it actually killed his wife, if I remember right. And that's why it was outlawed in the kingdom until Arthur. Arthur why can I not say Arthur? Arthur came and restored magic to the land Merlin, with the help of Merlin. Yes. Anyway, that's not the Bible at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's uh okay. Old European folktales. Anyway, <clears throat> so moving on from that. So let's talk about some resurrection. So we've seen, uh, I guess, used in the Old Testament, the main instance of uh, necromancy used in a negative light. It was outlawed. It was still frowned upon, and it ultimately ended in Saul's demise. That doesn't sound much like Jesus being a necromancer in that, if it's still outlawed and bad. Of course it doesn't. So let's go over to uh, tales of resurrection, because if you remember right, necromancy also means raising the dead just to bring someone back. It doesn't necessarily mean, Uh, divination, which is a whole other practice talked about in the Bible and often frowned upon, right? Like trying to foretell the future, which prophets did it all the time. Prophets literally, that's what they were. A prophet was a divinator of the Lord, basically, if you want to put it that way.
1: Well, and didn't some people say like the wise men?
0: That's next week's episode. Don't get ahead of me.
1: Okay.
0: That's what the astrology episode (laughs) So I, I have a plan. We're going somewhere with this this year.
1: You said that I was gonna add commentary. Yeah, so you're
0: adding commentary for next week's episode. Woman
1: gets people excited.
0: Okay, yes, uh, the wise men were in fact astrologers and not, I guess, in 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 some ways divinators. But it all comes back to the ending and the the summary of this episode. And so, uh, it what differentiates a a necromancer from uh, a miracle, or like you know you know, someone who performs raising someone from the dead as a miracle. what what differentiates an astrologer or I guess better yet uh, uh, a divinator for someone who is a pro- uh, a prophet? And it all falls back to this this ending of this episode. But let's kind of quickly get through these next things for sake of time. There's three instances of, or I guess major instances of resurrection in the Old Testament. We're going to flip over to 1 Kings 17, and I don't remember if I marked this or not. I hope I did. Okay, cool. 1 Kings 17, verse uh, 17 through 24. We're talking about Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. That means he died, by the way. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin and remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So she's basically blaming him for his for her son's death, for coming into uh, her house and he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child became, or I guess, where did they just go? And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. So that's instance number one. God raised, I mean, through Elijah's work, through his three times he did this thing, through his ritual, if you want to call it that, God said, okay, yeah, I'll bring him back. Second Kings, all of these are in Second Kings. I don't know why I've read through Second Kings so many times and have never really noticed this, but... Second Kings four. I'm actually going to travel backwards a little bit because I have these out of order, but whatever. Second Kings four thirty two through thirty seven. When Elijah came to the house, he saw a child. Or I guess this is Elisha. My apologies. Came to the house, he saw a child lying dead on his bed. So he went and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Uh, Then he went up and lay on the child. So he's laying on this dead person, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up and walked uh, once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned uh, Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground and she picked up her son and went out. So there Elisha raised doing a very similar practice, laying on someone and raising them from the dead. Going to 2 Kings 13, Which I was going to say
1: this third instance is really interesting to me.
0: It is very interesting and morbid and all of that. Uh, Very
1: spooky vibes.
0: Yeah, kind of um, very like, I don't know. It reminds me of like some old Irish Mm folktales in a way. Uh, So, and very Halloween, if I do say. As I say,
1: kind of, I envision like (laughs) Scooby-Doo.
0: Yes. So, just cutting through all of the backstory... So Elisha died. That's the, that's what it says in the Bible. It's not my words. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, I don't know who this man is that's dead, by the way, behold, a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet So quite literally, they tossed him in, he touched some dead man's bones, and boom, he was brought back to life. And so I wouldn't say that's straight up necromancy, since I don't think Elijah's bones tried to do that, but he was quite literally brought back to life by touching his bones. I
1: wonder, like, to me, this is so fascinating, because I wonder, like, what about his bones? What about his body? What kind of life did he have? What kind of tapped spirituality and into god i mean god he's supposed and, to
0: be one of the most holy men in well that's the Bible, what i'm saying so.
1: like it kind of speaks into the whole spirituality like that god is in every fiber of our being mm-hmm. and that includes our bones and a dead man touches another dead man's bones and then is raised up from the dead like that I, I feel like there's just a lot of power in that
0: yeah for sure um, and then you were also saying something beforehand about Bethel. Do you want to go ahead and give light yeah, to that? Yeah.
1: So as we were talking about this, I remember back in December, there was this young girl. I don't know the all of the details, but there's this young girl, this member of the Bethel Church in Redding, California, and she had died suddenly. And I remember and I remember reading different articles about Bethel Church having a prayer service and it lasted multiple days i am from what i remember reading it lasted a couple of days and they were praying that she would be rise from the they she would be raised from the dead and the pastor said that sometimes god this is his words sometimes people die outside of God's timing. And so they were praying and praying and praying. There was hashtags being thrown around. It was this really big ordeal. They raised a fundraiser for it over with over $50,000 and just praying that she would come back alive. And she didn't. But I remember a lot of people were giving flack to Bethel church, because one, this was the first time that they publicly did this. Mm -hmm. And two, a lot of people were talking about how blasphemous this was and how this was playing God and how this can't happen. And this only happened in the Bible or Jesus only, only Jesus has this authority. And there was just so many mixed feelings and emotions and thoughts on this thing. And I even remember reading it and hearing about this story and in my head, thinking how weird this was.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's, for one, I just want to go ahead and call out, this is a point I'm getting to, but, like, greater things will you do than even I. You know, Jesus said that. And so, like, to say that someone can't, and just putting Bethel Church aside, like, I have things I like about them and things I don't, you know, like any
1: and this, group, uh, Yeah, but, I, this isn't any judgment. This is just what happened.
0: Sure. And so, I mean, I think that that is interesting and I don't doubt the ability of raising someone from the dead that they I mean, had but that's so much of,
1: faith that they believed that God would raise her from the dead yeah. which and he didn't and so that has like a whole other conversation to it and what that looks like and what that means
0: and so like I mean and that gets in the whole thing of like well does Jesus you know who, my dead you know my mother died is that wrong that Jesus didn't raise you know like all yeah. this kind of stuff and that's a whole can of worms it's just saying like miracles are a real thing like mm-hmm. they're in the Bible And they're kind of distinguished in a way or, yeah, distinguished from a lot of these practices because of I was going to
1: say, like, there is a level of weirdness to it, but there is a level of, wow, they have so much faith mm -hmm. that God would do this and that they still praised God, even though he didn't do this.
0: Yeah. And so, like, to kind of summarize what else I was saying here, because I'm trying to get to somewhere real quick, but in... uh, the New Testament, there are also three instances of Jesus raising people from the dead. Hence the title, Jesus is my favorite necromancer. Once again, necromancer is in parentheses because we're getting somewhere with that. But of course, you have um, Matthew nine eighteen, which is uh, Jairus's daughter, where basically Jairus comes to Jesus and is like, my daughter has died. He goes, he lays hands on her and she is she rises from the dead. Luke seven eleven, 11, um, which is the widow's son where basically the widow comes. Similar story, like, my son has died. Jesus said he's not dead, but he's, asleep. he's just asleep, I think. And he, like, tells the boy, like, stand up. And the boy, like, arises. And then uh, John chapter 11, which is Lazarus, where, of course, we know Lazarus was close to Jesus. And that whole group, and Jesus raises Lazarus. Once again, Lazarus, once again, he's like, you're not dead, you're sleeping. You know, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes, I think mm-hmm. is what he says. Yeah. And so... Which is, like, brutal, if you think about it.
1: As I say, I actually wrote a blog post on that one time. Yep.
0: And so, and then you have uh, the last instance, it's kind of Jesus communing with those who are no longer here, is Luke 9, and I'm going to start in verse 28, and it's the transfiguration. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were walking with him—Moses and Elijah. One of these, of course, um, we was Moses taken. I don't believe Moses was taken. Moses died, but uh, Elijah was said to have been taken up to heaven in a in a chariot of fire. Is that that one? I think Warwick. so. Yeah. One of the two yeah. who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So basically, they're talking um, about Jesus's soon to be death and uh, resurrection. And then, of course, they're like, do you want us to build a tabernacle? Jesus is like, no. He's like, this Elijah dude you're talking here uh, quite literally is um, come back. This was John the Baptist. So I guess he had technically died again. So I guess Elijah was dead because Jesus says right here, uh, as you say these things, a cloud came over shadow, a voice of God came, this is my son whom I have chosen, whom I am well pleased. Uh, Listen to him. But yeah, and so it, it talks about, it doesn't talk about it in Luke, it talks about it in Matthew where... Uh, basically Elijah was John the Baptist come back and you like, they didn't recognize him. And like he came to proclaim the oncoming of Christ, which that's mentioned a few times in the new, in the new Testament, which in and of itself is kind of a weird, not necromancy, but weird in the sense of like, this dude has come back from the grave or descended from a chariot of fire or whatever you want to call it. He's been rebirthed into the world to proclaim something Uh, as a previous man who has been to the other side to declare what is to come. And so that sounds a little weird in and of itself. And so you have all these instances where in one point, it actually kind of sounds a lot like necromancy, right? Like necromancy is raising people from the dead. That's also what we would call a miracle. Uh, Necromancy is communing with things in another world. Well, that's also what we would call prayer or uh, I know, and this is getting into a whole other can of worms, but up until the 16th century, we had the book of, what is it, Maccabees, that talks about praying to the saints. And I know, like, Protestant Christianity hates the the idea of talking about such things, but that was, for a long time, canonized in the Bible until Protestantism changed that, or I guess Martin Luther, technically, is who changed it and discredited those books, which, let's also be real, there's a reason uh, James and Revelation are in the back of the Bible, Um, it's because he put them back there because he actually didn't really know if he believed them either, but didn't want to cut anything from the New Testament. So he shoved those in the back of the Bible. That's why they're in the back of our Bible, because Martin Luther didn't really like them or think that they had any real validity. The Bible is arranged in the New Testament in order of believability. (laughs) And so, which is
1: funny because there's a lot of things in Genesis. I'm like,
0: well, I'm talking about the New Testament, mm. The New Testament is arranged in order of believability. That's why you have the canonized, the closest thing to Jesus first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then you have like Pauline epistles and then you have the ones that are like, I don't actually know if Paul wrote these. And you get into James where it's like, I don't know if works can do anything for you, actually. So we're going to stick this in the back. And you have Revelation where Martin Luther's like, this sounds like a bunch of crap. So I'm just going to shove it in the back of the Bible. Um, and <laughs> we're going to talk about that one next week.
1: Which I Once was going to say, as we're talking about like necromancy and like raising people from the dead, my thought first goes to doctors and how many well, people die <laughs> and then are raised back.
0: That's a whole other can of hospital. worms. That's a whole other can or of doctors, worms. Doctors,
1: necromancers. Well,
0: actually, the word um, wizard or sorcerer, uh, sorcerer that is often you, your conjurer, uh, is it's used in the Old Testament of like people you should kill, is the word pharmakeos which is where we get the word pharma, like pharmacist, Pharmaceuticals, yeah. uh, which is a mixer of herbs or someone who uh, alters the life state of another human. And many people have come to take that as a poisoner or someone who has malicious intent, which also gets to the point that I'm about to drive home at the very end of this here. So everything's pointing to a certain direction here. But uh, that, that is also, that's the word. And it's not really a common word outside of the Bible, from what I remember studying on it. It's just it's the word used, and it, it means a person who mixes herbs. So in in one sense, you have Jesus who's mixing mud and slathering it on someone's eyes, saying be healed. Him sight. Yeah. And then you have another group saying, if you mix things together, then you're a witch and need to die. And so, you know, like there's a weird, interesting thing here. That you start looking at, and it's, it's this one thread, this one little thread that you start seeing, like, okay, so raising people from the dead is frowned upon, except for whenever people are raising people from the dead. To heal them? Right.
1: Like, in the hospital?
0: <laughs> or even so, like, you look at Jesus, like, healing people on the Sabbath is against the law, except for... it's it's not not. (laughs) and then healing people in general is against the law except for when it's considered a miracle and like performing pharmacy is against the law except for when it's not or summoning hordes of locusts is witchcraft except when it's not or turning the sea to blood is 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 sorcery except when it's when it's not and you have all of these things in the bible uh that or or better yet, here's another one that's really good that a lot of people don't even put into uh, account that Joseph slipped in a cup that he used for divination to see the future to let him know that his his family was coming. You know, like this is the cup that he used to div, to divine, divine, div, divin, divinize, whatever the word is, to, to foresee the coming of his family to ask him for wheat when he was in Egypt. And he slipped this cup that was priceless into his bag to see how his family would react to try to lure his dad there and to keep his brother there and to like basically see the honesty of his family and to basically like plan this whole thing where he could chase after them and to bless them but this was a cup used for divination it was a divining cup that's what it was for and so that's against the bible except when we're talking about this hero who used it to uh, basically ensure the continuation of the lineage of Christ. You know what I mean? Like all this crazy stuff that is bad until it's so not bad. So what
1: differentiates from well, the Old Testament you, or the New you. Testament or what makes it bad, what makes it wrong?
0: Well, I'm going to go ahead and flip over to Second Corinthians because I had a few things that I wanted to sum up on what is and is not bad and why it makes it bad and what what it is and all that. So I'm just going to read these few things real quick. I don't actually remember which verses I wrote down. I know whenever I read them, I'll remember my intent behind writing them down, but I was writing down a ton of notes today. So this is 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 14. And so here's 11 and verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Okay. This is Paul talking to, okay. Yeah. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is something that a lot of people use against. This is one of those things that came up against um, such practices when you Google it. This is a verse that comes up pretty regularly. And I, I think it interesting that Paul is talking about like these false prophets and all of that. But if I remember right, where is it at? Oh yeah. So basically the reason I have wrote this down was I liked the verse that says, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Okay. On their boasted mission. A lot of people read the one right after that, uh, talking about false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves that Satan himself is disguised as an angel of light, all of that, and people use that against people who like. I mean, let's be honest. Bethel Church had this very thing used against them of like, this is the deceitful spirit trying to raise someone from the dead, what have you. But I really love that it says their boasted mission. They claim to work on the same level we do, and their boasted mission. And all of this comes down to intent. Okay, that's the big underlying. We've talked about that before on the show. But that is the thing that this entire thing is coming down to. What differentiates Moses from the other sorcerers in the temple? They, they did similar things. They were able to turn uh, staffs into snakes. They were able to do some of these smaller practices in the same way. So what makes Moses different? His intent was for the glory of God. What makes Jesus's intent talking with the dead different than Saul's. His intent was to further the glory of God. He didn't do it outside of his own means, and it all comes down to one's own ambition versus God's ambition. And there's no need, if you go over to uh, James 1, five, and I actually do have that one marked so I can get to it really quickly. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But ask in faith with no doubting For one who doubts is like a wave on the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so what I mean, it literally says in James, if you ask, you will receive that. You know, if you look at Solomon, what did Solomon pray for? He prayed for wisdom and received wisdom. You go to Saul and he asked God, but didn't give God the time or didn't like the answer God gave. So he went to seek out other means. His own means, yeah. And so it's all the intent, you know, raising people from the dead. You look at... Elijah and Elisha, it wasn't for their glory that they raised someone from the dead. It was for the glory of God. This person came as like, why have you come into my house? How dare your God be like this? And they're like, no, we're not going to let our God have such a negative view. Like God, you can do this. So through the power of Christ. And that's so much the difference in sorcery and witchcraft versus Christianity. And we've talked about similarities like this in the past. If you look at holding hands in a circle at a men's group and chanting, you know, or, or, you know, saying a prayer for, of God to protect you before you go out uh, on your field trip or, or your mission trip or whatever, versus people holding hands around a fire, wearing witch hats, you know, speaking words of protection. Well, what's the difference there? One's considered witchcraft, one's considered prayer. The difference is the intent. One is through Christ, one is through self. And basically the idea of what is a Christian witch? Well, I don't, I'm not sitting here trying to defend or anything. I'm not into that world deep enough to say this. You know, we've had a Christian, we've had a Christian pagan uh, couple on our show. They're more inclined to be able to answer this or what have you, but it's all in intent. You know, Christianity and witchcraft, the only real difference is instead of doing something through one's own self, you're doing it through the glory of God. It comes down to like exorcisms even. You know, the the verse in the Bible, it's like Christ, uh, you know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Well, why could, why did they get rebuked by the, the two men get rebuked by the demons? Well, because they were trying to do it in their own authority instead of knowing the authority and like truly knowing and understanding the authority in which they do. And the thing is humans are, are in, or are capable of error is what I'm trying to say. And so to perform such acts through oneself, while possible, you can try to cast out a demon in the name of Satan. You can try to cast out a demon in the name of my dog, And, you know, if you had enough willpower, you may be able to do it. That doesn't mean it's an effective way because we have a chance of not doing it correctly. So Christian prayer is the same thing as a magical enchantment. It's just that you're filtering it through God. So if there's any malintent or selfishness, it can't come to it's like filtering out poison. It's like running water through filtration before you drink it, knowing nothing bad can come out the other side, because Christ is perfectness. He is the the impenetrable filter that no evil can pass out the other side of. It's swallowed up, consumed, and so, you know, oftentimes you, you look at Saul, Saul praying to God, I want to do this thing, give me the answer. He doesn't like the answer. That doesn't mean, you know, that means, okay, well, then he should have been able to accept that, but instead, he had to go do another mean, The same thing, mind you. You know, opening a bag and pulling out a just rock. Just to say,
1: didn't he keep getting the same answer no matter what he yeah, did? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, and so he's like, oh, I'm going to go talk to Samuel, who's dead, versus pulling out the rock out of the bag and trusting it, versus praying, versus all these other means versus speaking to his own counsel, who were praying on his behalf. Like, all these things led to the same answer. He just didn't like the answer. And so, so often... That is the difference. Now, there's other things. There's dark magic. There's talking to demons like all that stuff. Sure, whatever. Good and fine and dandy. But that's still negative intent. And that's the differentiator in so much of this. Prayer is the same thing as enchantments. Uh, Holding a cross and remembering Christ is the same thing as holding a pentagram and thinking it's going to protect you. It's all your intent and what you're channeling it through. Are you going to channel it through yourself, which isn't capable? Let's be honest. I am not saying we're not capable. We have Christ in us, so we are capable. Just as Christ, we can do greater things than he. Uh, But we have someone who has the ultimate wisdom that can filter out any of our prayers and take them, and when they come out the other side, they're for the glory and benefit of God and creation. And so to kind of, I guess, sum that up, I'm going to flip over to Galatians, if I can find Galatians. I always have the hardest time finding Galatians in my Bible because it's kind of a small book, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, where are we at, Galatians, haha, so Galatians 5.19, and this is one that we hear all the time, all the time, so if you kind of scroll through here, I say scroll, I'm reading from a Bible, and I've used phones so much I say scroll, Keep in step with the Spirit, but I say walk by the Spirit, capital S, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, capital S, and you are not under the law, now the works of the flesh are evident. And I'm going to go through here and read all of these, and you'll see what I mean. And they're all grouped together. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do so, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another." Uh, and so the reason I read that is because I think it's beautiful. We use that a lot of times of like all the things you shouldn't do, right? That's a list of the things you shouldn't do. And then we read the fruit of the spirit is like the things you should do, but realizing those are the opposites of such things. And then to say that if you live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited. That's the word that I really wanted to kind of pull out there uh, because it says uh, it keeps going bear one another's burden. So if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Um, And so the reason I kind of bring this to light is I find it beautiful that conceit is that ultimate thing of all the things, all of the things that are listed as bad, all the things are good, test it to this. Is it conceited? What is conceited? Is it something to produce my own desires outside of what I know I should be pursuing. Is this something, you know, do I want to conjure the dead so I can predict my future or do I trust God in my future? Do I want to raise someone from the dead to make myself look good or do I want to cast out a demon so I can be as cool as that other guy or do I want to do it to honestly set someone free in the name of Christ? You know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but do I know you? Who are you? Well, that's why you know the authority in which you have, and we filter what we have through Christ. And that That's my view of it. And they're, they're very similar things. All of this is very similar. You're drawing on the same power, you know? Going and speaking to someone who can talk to the dead is drawing on the same power as someone, uh, as Christ was raising someone from the dead. It's all innate in creation. It's just the filter in what you do it through.
1: And this also, I know we're talking about Halloween and necromancy and all of that stuff, but this is goes to everything we do in life that yeah. this pertains to everything whatever vessel we are using, whatever intention and purpose that we have, it's do you want to help others or do you want to make your do you want to glorify yourself? do you want to glorify God or do you want to you know focus on on yourself, which is the conceit thing that you were talking about and it's not just raising the dead or, or casting out demons or healing people. it's literally anything. it's how you go about your daily life. Are you trying to, praise yourself and have people worship you? Or are you trusting in God and allowing him to lead those
0: things? One of the that goes back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And so you don't have to, like God has given us the gift of not having to do these things. Now the curiosity may be there. There are things there there are people who see things spiritual. There are things, you know, people who have had encounters like this and stuff. And I'm not discrediting any of that. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, that the Catholic books have it wrong. I don't know much about all that study. All I do know is that all of our intent can be filtered through Christ. And that is what differentiated Moses from the sorcerers. That is what differentiated Jacob from the Evil fellow good, Egyptians. Basically. Right. That is what differentiated. Uh, all of these people throughout the Bible who had these spiritual encounters, who did miracles, all these prophets, even versus uh, diviners or you know practitioners of divination or, or fortune tellers, like that's the difference. Is one is a God ordained message or filtered through Christ? Um, who was it that interpreted the, the dreams? Uh, is that Jacob? Was that Jacob that interpreted? the I think so. Uh, But anyway, like, that's why he grew to the status he did. Yeah, Uh, because he was able to, like, all the sorcerers couldn't do it, but he could. What's the difference in him and them? Well, he filtered it through God.
1: Well, and it's ultimately everyone's demise or everyone's fall in the Bible of glorifying yourself and doing things in a selfish and conceited manner instead of trusting God. You can even go as far as back to the Adam and Eve story. Of, or Satan
0: himself. Or Satan know.
1: himself, and and that they were glorifying themselves or they, they were focusing on themselves and what they wanted, but they didn't focus on, one, that they already had the things already, mm-hmm. but two, that they weren't focused on the things that God wanted, because ultimately, you know, God knows what's best for our
0: lives. Yeah, as hard as that is to swallow sometimes. And the other thing here, too, and I would just like to kind of close with this, God actually does trust us, you know? I think we trust in God, and then God trusts in his creation. There's a reason he gave us dominion over the earth. We've made mistakes, but that doesn't mean we are a mistake.
1: And God, you know, can continuously still uses us to do those things, to help Yes, and, and, and just trust to kinda, us.
0: And to kind of clarify, I know, like, the whole God using me thing can cause a lot of hurt for people. It, it's a co-labor. He can't do it without us first using him. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a simultaneous, literally, like— Almost like a potato sack race where you're both, you know, in the same potato sack hopping like you can't do one with it. God cannot use you uh, as much as he can co-labor with you kind of thing. And so and vice versa. Yeah. Just a verbiage thing there to kind of help anyone out who's listening as well. Anyway, so that's our summary on all of this. That was a deep dive into a lot of texts and a lot of different things. But basically, that whole thing can be summed up with intent. It's all about Intent. Next week, we're going to be diving into astrology. We're going to be talking about that beautiful little star that shone bright. And uh, even more so, we're going to be diving into revelation, giant dragons in the sky, and horrors giving birth to children on celestial planes. We're going to be talking about all of that madness and what that could have actually meant, even down to the gemstones uh, that flow around the temple or in, in the robe itself.
1: Which is a great wrap-up of our Halloween series.
0: Yes. So if you're interested in Revelation and want to know about the end times and all of that crazy prophetic seals and all of that, we're going to dive into that and probably make it a whole lot less spooky than it sounds. So we love you guys. And as always, be brave. Be bold. And be reckless. We'll We'll talk talk soon. soon.